this bizarro world risk reward is in all the big banks. Why? Because they are too big to fail. All right. Welcome to Generational Arbitrage. I am Tyler Neville, and I'm sitting down with Dr. Ben Hunt, who is the co-founder of Second Foundation Partners, the author of the Epsilon Theory newsletter, which reaches over 100,000 professional investors across 180 countries. He is a master of euphemisms, a second derivative thinker, a mentor to younger generations, and a lone wolf in speaking truth wow. to power. So, um, yeah. You like that intro, Ben? <laughs> that was great, Tyler. I've got to have you at all my uh, – every time I, I, I yeah. give a talk somewhere. That was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Now that I gassed you up, why don't, why don't we jump right in? But uh, thanks for being here. Well, super to be here, Tyler. So, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's get at it. Awesome. So, so first off, I want to know, how did you survive having four kids? I have two <laughs> under three years old, and I am struggling. Well, you know what? I, 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 am, I, am, I am blessed with a, with a wife who's uh, a good partner uh, for that. And, you know, it's, 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 of course, it's never easy with, 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 with kids. I think that it's, it's actually easier the more actively engaged you are with their lives. I think that uh, they'll, they'll always find ways to surprise you. And that's a good thing. Oh yeah. I think it's uh, they're they're all different. Every child is different, and recognizing that difference and adapting to it is like it's like investing, uh, Tyler. It really is. You uh, mm -hmm. you come in there. You come into to, to child raising or to investing with kind of a set view about how things are going to be, mm -hmm. and that's uh, that that's a recipe for disappointment for sure. It's always dynamic and changing. I love it. So uh, skipping to kind of more uh, real stuff, what do you see as the biggest financial and social problems between our generations right now? Because it seems like we're massively polarized. I know you, this is a big theme for you in your newsletters. Well, I think we've got two things going on here, Tyler. I, I think that on the one hand, we have a set of policies around money right so so this is this is more than just oh what is the fed doing right although that's a big part of it we have an entire set of policies around money and wealth that instantiates the status quo and more than that it creates dynamics for financial asset owners to continue to get richer and for financial asset non-owners, <laughs> right, uh, to not, to not. So, so, mm -hmm. so that, that gulf between rich and poor, roughly speaking, young and old, on, on every dimension of money is now in a... Um, has an inertia behind it, has a, uh, uh, an enormous movement behind it that I think is incredibly difficult to slow down, much less reverse. The set, mm -hmm. So that, that's one. All of our policies around money. The second... And this is more related to, I think, the, the, the 
the onward path of technology, right? Particularly social media technology, our structure, our laws around media in general. I think what it has exacerbated is what I like to call political entrepreneurship, such that and there are a lot of good things about disintermediation, gatekeepers being removed, the ability to have a platform to, 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 to speak and put out your views. At the same time, I think that true disintermediation is a lot less than meets the eye. And what I mean by that is that the same status quo institutions and people with power are able to use our technological developments, particularly in the realm of media, to, again, cement political power, uh, but to do it in a way that polarizes us. And that exists on a generational level, that exists on uh, any sort of cleavage point you want to talk about. But I think you've got both of those things going on here, Tyler. And, and I know your focus is on generations, and that is absolutely one of the cleavage points that I believe both of these phenomena uh, really impact and, and serve to divide mm -hmm. generations rather than find bridges and find ways to work together, <laughs> right, as a, as a society, right, as, and, and at every level, yeah. right, to work together as a family. I don't know about you, Tyler, but you know, I've seen over the last four years, I mean, my family hasn't gotten closer. My friends haven't gotten closer. These, these cleavage points, whether it's around money or whether it's around politics, have, you know, and I think we've all experienced this, right? They, 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 they've created rifts. They've created differences in, in, in my family and my friends. And it's harder to find what I like to call my pack. So yeah. I, I, it seems like a real breakdown of communities happened over this past 30 years and, and media is at, you know, like one of those pivot points that you're talking about. And I think it's entirely intentional, Tyler. I really do. And can you talk about the people in power? You talk about pulling forward demand from the future to the mm -hmm. present, and it basically sacrifices your, your children's future. And you, you talk about it as the concept of the long now. Can, can you go into depth on sure, that? Sure, sure. And first of all, you know, the long now is actually that, that, that name is used for a very nice project, right? It's about trying to create a, a clock or, you know, some, some way of like keeping time that, that, that can expand, you know, or extend over, you know, 10,000 years or something like that. So I've, I've, I, unfortunately, mm. I've, I, I kind of took the name because it's so evocative, or the phrase because it's so evocative, and, and used it to describe something that I think is, you know, not so nice or not so pleasant. And specifically what, what I mean by the long now is the pulling forward of political fear into the present and also the pulling forward of economic stimulus from the future into the present. Both of those having these uh, uh, satisfying, right, the, 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 the impulses of status quo institutions of, of, of power to preserve that status quo, right? So by bringing forward from the future issues of political fear, whether that's around mm -hmm. another country, whether that's around uh, uh, an, 
an other with a capital O, right? That that can be you know, domestic. It could be be anything. But I, I think there's a very conscious effort to do that, again, by what I like to call political entrepreneurs, and it results in a polarization and a splitting of, of, of us, of our community. So it's much harder to have a, uh, a community of any sorts, much, one, much less one that bridges different generations or, or, or cleavage points in, in demographics, if you're constantly being told there is this other right, that creates a, a political problem right. or fear, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time, the, the pulling forward of economic stimulus is also part of this as well. So on one hand, you want to, to create the boogeyman, right? You want to create the other against which your political focus, your attention can be focused. But at the same time, you want to pull forward enough leverage enough money so that eh, you know life is okay you can't you, you you're you're not you're not compelled to focus on what what can really create lasting political change uh, which is mm -hmm. that you, you know the economy isn't working our, our our ability to live a life of meaning and autonomy we can't do it with the economics that we're that, that we have. So we pull that forward from the future as well. And a microcosm of that, you know, is, is buybacks, which I have strong feelings about, but, you know, can you talk about kind of issuing debt to unfunded pensions and shrinking the float for the capital class a bit? Yeah. So, you know, part of this pulling forward process is it'll fall under the heading of, of what I'll describe as financialization. And that's a that's an amorphous word, right? And and it it it, it, it is often used pejoratively, right? And and I think it is a pejorative word when it becomes just the sole function of what markets do. And mm -hmm. and the way I define financialization to try to put some some meat on that on those bones, right? Because right now it's just like oh, you know, that's financialization, and it can apply to anything just to mean no, oh, that's you think that that's bad. That sounds bad, right? But here's what I mean by financialization or, or how I define it. It's the increase in either in leverage and in profits without an increase in productivity, right? Without an increase mm -hmm. in productivity. In, in, in other words, the purpose, you know, the original purpose of, of, of capital markets, like the stock market, right, was to be better, to create a better society for everyone by getting our capital into the hands of companies and management teams who could use that capital more efficiently than, you know, than you or I could with, what, with whatever capital we've got. Maybe we've got a little, maybe we've got a lot, mm -hmm. but... We'd rather give it to someone who's got, I've got an idea to build this product, right? To, uh, uh, you know, build a building, to make a factory, to, uh, uh, you know, invent a technology or bring a technology to, 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 to the world. Mm -hmm. That to essentially like grow jobs and grow the pie. I, like, exactly. 
Exactly. And mm-hmm. and that is that is the magic of capitalism, right? That that is the the the, the magic of people individually making decisions whether it's in a market environment or whether it's an electoral environment. But look, this is at the core of what I like to call is small L liberalism, right? Free markets and free elections. What's happened over time, and this is, this is there, there's always an element of this, right? But you know, my issue is that, is that this element I'm going to describe now just dwarfs dwarfs all of these original purposes of of the stock market for example you know you brought this um, mm-hmm. stock buybacks and like right so look money the the capital now is not being used to build something or to make something more efficient right to to do more with less right that's what productivity mm-hmm. is to do more with less instead what we have now is is capital markets that have become a a a gambling device right that have become a political utility and so the 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 political advantages the gambling advantages of doing something that just makes number go up right to use a crypto phrase but apply that to mm-hmm. to the stock price that is what management is rewarded on. That is what we all pay attention to and reward uh, in terms of, of, mm-hmm. of our eyeballs and our votes and everything like that. So, you know, if you're management and you're thinking, hey, you know, we've got all these policies around money. So, for example, I can borrow money at essentially no cost. You know, that's what a zero interest rate environment means. Now, you and I can't borrow money at zero cost. We're talking about big public corporations can borrow money at basically zero cost. To your point, take on debt. And now you're a CEO. You're the CFO of a company. You're the board of directors of a company. I mean, all right, well, we can certainly borrow money very cheaply. Uh, we've, we've got a good bit of money in the, in the treasury as it is. What should we do with that money? Should we build a factory? Should we expand our business? Should we hire more people? Should we give a raise to to, to our employees? Well, those are all kind of, of risky not. things to do, right? I mean, I mean, we, we could do all these things, and 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 and, and, and yes, I, I mean, maybe that's a good investment to make with the money. But is it going to make the number go up? I don't know, right? But what I know for sure, what I know for darn sure, is that if we take that money and we buy back our stock, then because of the narratives we have today about how that that, that works, that's going to make the number go up. And that's good for our shareholders, and it's darn good for us. Because under this narrative of, oh, our interests are aligned, we've set up our compensation to be rewarded by uh, restricted stock, stock options, and the like. So, you know, everybody wins in this sort of environment, yeah. except yeah. all yeah. of us, right? Because the money doesn't go yeah. to hire more workers, to take a chance. It doesn't go to take a chance, to take a risk. And that's what I think 
is so missing in, 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 in a lot of the kind of discussion about financialization. The problem with financialization is, is, is not so much as just that it's a, that it's a bad thing just on the face of it. I mean, there are lots of chances where I think the best thing that a company could do is buy back its own stock or use the, the, the money to buy another company to do a, a, an acquisition, right? What financialization does, though, in this sort of in, environment of zero interest rates and the, 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 the easy money we have, the pulling forward from the future through the use of leverage and borrowing, is that it takes risk-taking out of our society. Right? And that's mm. we need to come, be, be able to come back. We, we, we need risk-taking in our society. Risk-taking is what we need at the, the macro level for big companies to do. It's what we need at an individual level. We, we need to have that ability that young, middle-aged, or old, you can take the risks that are right for you at your stage of life. It's this, it's, it's, the, it's, it's, it's risk-taking and the rewards from risk-taking that I think are just being squeezed out of our society by these policies around money and our policies around politics. I've, I've gotten a lot of heat for calling it a baby boomer Ponzi scheme because of that very thing. And it's, it's more a joke because like there are pockets of capitalism happening, I think, in, you know, in venture capital, they're taking some risks and more money's moving there. But then you have, you know, the financialization sector, which is probably the majority of the economy, right? That just takes money and kind of just squeezes a little more juice out of the yield and then they move on. Um, but I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, where do you stand in the battle of capital versus labor? I know, you know, for the past 30, 40 years, we've had globalization. We brought on a supply of Chinese labor that's basically, I think, killed the pricing power and wages of, of American workers. Do you think that that pendulum will swing back? And what, what happens when that does? Yes, the pendulum swings so, back, right? So, 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 yeah, it's just to answer that question. So, so I mean, you can look at this pretty pretty easily kind of over longer time periods. And it really is in the late 1970s, really right at night. So in 1980, Ronald Reagan comes into office, Margaret Thatcher comes into office. That's a pretty good demarcation line. You know, whether it happened in 78 or 80, that's a pretty good demarcation line for when the pendulum started to swing towards capital and away from labor. So that's, it's 40 mm -hmm. years. It's 40 years. My, my, my view is that that is starting, that, that pendulum is, is slowly starting to swing back the other way. And these pendulums are very, these are barges, right? These are, these are barges that, that take years to slow down before they start going in the other direction. I think one of the main reasons for slowing down this barge, right, and moving it the other direction is what we're seeing happen um, in, let's call it globalization, a reversal of globalization. Now, look, <laughs> these things are never good or bad in and of themselves, right? When these, when these barges start going another direction. Why is globalization breaking down? Well, because military competition between the U.S. and China is heating up. That's, that, that, that's at the core of this. And, you know, that's 
not necessarily a good thing nor a bad thing. I'm just saying it is a thing. And that there are real negative consequences to that being a thing, as well as what would be, in my mind, a very healthy corrective in favor of labor and away from capital per se. But what I think is even more important is, again, not to create some cleavage point, a political cleavage point around capital and labor. I'm not saying it hasn't been done, you know, already a lot, right? But but, but mm-hmm. my goal is to, to understand that we are all in this together, that the our political system now rewards high-functioning sociopaths to such a degree that capital and, and you know and and, and and look I'll put it this way the best portfolio managers I've ever known in my life are high-functioning sociopaths right because that that's frankly what it takes <laughs> it, it really does it takes yeah. an ability to compartmentalize to not feel empathy for others that 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 is a good set of tools of traits right for 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 for, for managing a fund and we set up a system that rewards that not just in markets but also in politics because i i Mm -hmm. I, you know whether you're talking about left or right you know whatever you want to say i'd characterize all of our political leaders today as 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 high functioning sociopaths in one degree or another Mm -hmm. that that the the hallmark of sociopathy right is not is is not having empathy for others and so i i don't want to exacerbate that by setting up another us versus them demarcation line i think the us mm-hmm. versus them is non-sociopaths versus sociopaths right and 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 that's the that's the group that i want to struggle against it's so it's it's, so it's not against capital per se right Mm -hmm. but it i like that that is capital and labor in service to pushing the sociopaths out and increasing empathy and community and risk-taking and productivity and growth, real growth, in our society. I couldn't agree more with that. And and what's why I wanted to start this podcast in general is I think the majority of society actually feels that in one way or another. They know that on paper everything looks great, stock market at all-time highs and – but they feel this underlying angst because the inflation of all these other financial assets are, are basically skyrocketing yep. and they feel a little bit left behind. Absolutely. And, and they are being left behind. Them. I mean, let's, let's, I mean that, that, that happens to be true. Yeah. <laughs> that happens to be true. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and now like, I mean, there's so many problems we could talk about with housing and whatnot, but it, it it's, I want to get back to that point where we're, we're winning as a, a team is better than winning by yourself. And, and that's the tortoise and the hare, all these great 
you know, stories that we used to learn as children are now gone out the, the door because the Fed lowered interest rates to zero and sociopaths went to the highest, biggest scaling corporations, I think, in America, too. But, you know, can we talk about scale mm -hmm. and never ending scale and what it does and then maybe even get into the Bill Huangs of the world that kind of seek those positions of scale. Yeah. So the, you know, there's so many there that it's like, you know, the, the old story of the, the, the world sits on the back of an elephant and the elephant stands on the, the, the back of another elephant, you know, or, or a turtle, right. As though it's, you know, it's turtles all the way down. Right. So it's, it, it's, it's so mm -hmm. hard to say, okay, here's the root problem. But I think I can give you a sense of what the solution is. Mm -hmm. And it's not to attack this at a top-down level, right? It's not to attack this with, I think, what most people think you attack it with. Like, oh, we'll start a new political party, for example, right? Or, oh, if mm -hmm. we just pass this law, that'll make a difference, I think that, and we're seeing this today around Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, the ability of what I like to call the nudging state and the nudging oligarchy, you know, nudging corporations, because that's that's how corporations and state work today, right? It's not it's not that they send the you know the Gestapo, Thanks. you know, bursting down your door and dragging you out to a camp. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's smiley face authoritarianism, right? It's, it's, it's what call the nudge. It's a nudge. Yeah. And what the power of the nudge is, is it's so good at co-opting anything that creates an identity of resistance Right. To say, no, 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 we can do better. We can form a real community here and we can work together to make our social lives, our lives as investors, our lives as citizens, better. Better. We can recapture those small L liberal virtues. We can recapture those small C conservative virtues. But the moment we try to make that big L, and we try to make that try to make that a big C. The moment we try to say, "Oh, we're going to do this as a political party," we're going to do this from the top down. That's where it gets co-opted, just like you're seeing in Bitcoin today. It's it's just it's just mm -hmm. being absorbed by Wall Street, right? And and so all of that entrepreneurialism, autonomy, resistance, all of those qualities that I see in everybody, you know, who was engaged in, in crypto and Bitcoin in the early days, it gets taken over by number go up. It gets taken over by the nudge that Wall Street and Washington can always provide. So mm -hmm. what I, where I think we have to, to fix this or work to fix this is not from the top down. It's not from some grand policy. Oh, if we can just get so-and-so elected or, oh, if we can just pass this law, want to be able to I'm not saying that none of that does that that doesn't matter. I think it matters a lot. I think the laws we can do, I think that the the people we elect, I think that matters a lot. Right? But I think what matters more 
is finding ways to opt out, frankly, of the financialized Wall Street system, to opt out of the Washington nudges and the like, and to build functioning communities, both geographically based, but also, $10 word, epistemically based, virtual communities, communities of interest and uh, passion, there's a real ability to build that today that didn't exist. Hell, it didn't exist five years ago, Tyler, much less, you know, yeah. you know, 20 years ago. And there, Our whole firm's virtual now. Right. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Right, it is mm-hmm. amazing. And, and, and this has been the great blessing to me of, you know, starting writing Epsilon Theory. It was, it was like a note I put in a bottle and just tossed down the ocean. It's like the old police song where 100,000 bottles come back washing up on the shore. It's really true. I, I, I mean, it was, I, I sent out the first email to like 100 people, and now, like I say, it's, it's well over 100,000 people from all over the world. No marketing. It's all been word of mouth. It's all of that. Right? Mm-hmm. It's Tyler, you're not alone. I'm not alone. We are not alone in what we're talking about and what we want for our families, for our children, for ourselves. We're not alone. And it, it is all over the world, men and women, young and old. Yeah, you know, I, I use the old Friday Night Lights, you know, slogan, you know, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Mm-hmm. But it has to happen, Tyler, from a bottom up perspective. Right. It happens by finding your pack, finding your team, finding your community. It's a long game. It doesn't get fixed with an election. It doesn't get fixed with a a law. It gets fixed over decades from how we live our lives and how we help our neighbors. And it it really works, Tyler. It really works. Yeah. One of the things I've been wrapping my head around. So as a background, I used to short volatility Mm -hmm. at one of the biggest baby boomer funds in the country. And what that is, is basically you take an equity and you overwrite calls on it. You turn it into a bond like proxy. It's just, it's another form of control is how I kind of like wrap my head around it. So I'm just slowly, instead of giving money to innovation and few real growth, you know, what I was really doing was just handing, you know, a, a my sovereignty up to yep. you know a, ba- a baby boomer's retirement, and the concept that I'm wrapping my head around is anything that is short volatility by nature is actually death by a thousand cuts as an industry, and to really grow as a human and person, you have to move to a smaller corporation that kind of battles against those very forces and it's very you know risky a lot of them are not profitable um not a lot of them you know are venture-backed companies it's just a a dream you know i think digital assets i rope that into being a long vol asset too now and i'm hoping that the volatility of it keeps the giant institutions at bay long enough where geographically you can have you know people from South Africa and Venezuela, they make up the majority of the decentralization before the, in the, the institutions kind of like are the last ones in, 
if that makes, it makes sense. Makes a ton of sense, Tyler. And it goes back to what we were yeah. talking about before, risk taking. Right. We we, we, yeah. we have a system today that both our, our rules around money and our rules around politics. It squeezes out the ability to take risk. Right. And and, and look mm-hmm. a lot of I'll call it the restrictions on risk taking that we have in our world around money and politics are there for good reasons. Meaning that there are so many, I like to call them raccoons because they're just evil, thieving little animals. You know, I live out on a farm and raccoons are the bane of my existence, right? There are so many human raccoons out there, particularly in the business of money, particularly in finance, who are there to screw you over in your desire to take risks. And I think we see so much mm-hmm. of that in crypto today. Right? What I'm hoping to to achieve, though, is to encourage people to take those risks, to find ways to create something, to, you know, the phrase I've got is to make, to protect, and to teach. All of those are things that build a community, right? So we don't all have to be, you, you know, working on crypto or doing a tech startup, right? That's not it mm-hmm. at all, right? It's 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 the person says, you know what? I want to be a cop, and I'm going to be a real policeman that that protects my community, that builds my community, right? It's mm-hmm. it, it, it's the person says, you know, I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be a priest. I want to be a teacher, right? It, it, it's all of those actions, right? Those are all risks. Right, taking that sort of risk with yeah, this is what I'm going to do with my life. It 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 may not make mm-hmm. me the most money, right? But but this is how I want to express my identity by making, protecting, by teaching, by moving our community forward. And all of that is risk taking, and and that I is what I don't want to get squeezed out of our society. But I see it being squeezed out so much because what we are told is that the small actions that we do, the small risks we take, the problems we solve, the questions we answer, we are told constantly that that is not enough, right? That, no, 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 you want to make a difference? Well, you need to join our political party, right? You need to join our corporation, that's how you're mm-hmm. going to change the world and make the world a better place. Yeah. That's bullshit, right? That's not what changes the world. That's yeah. the risk-taking that I think we need to be encouraging. Yeah, one, one of the fascinating things that I see from big institutions is like the corporate slogan is like my favorite thing to look at because it usually means the opposite of, of what it you know panders to, to be. And it's just such one of those signs where you're like, does the CEO of this company even care about diversity or, you know, multiculturalism and and all these things that ring in our, in the water we're swimming in. And I I don't see anybody living that. Like when I see Janet Yellen saying like, oh, we care about the, the small communities, but then at the Fed, she was just handing money over to these giant corporations I'm like, how much have you really been helping these communities in the, you know, 
being present as a person in these communities. If you can do that, I'll go down and dig that dig that that ditch for you as, as well. It's like when you see the CEO really doing something, I respect the hell out of it, and I don't think there's leaders in place that do enough of that stuff. Well, here's you know, Tyler, I, I don't blame is too strong a word. I don't think badly of Janet Yellen as Fed chair or Jay Powell as Fed chair or Ben Bernanke as Fed chair. Go down the list. I don't think badly of them for supporting the big banks because that's the job, right? That That's mm-hmm. what the Fed does. It is there to make sure that the big banks remain profitable, that they don't, you know, blow up. There, That's what, that's why the Fed was created. That's the job. But mm-hmm. to your point, what bugs me immensely what just smacks of inauthenticity and fakeness and mendacity is to present words that your job is something else, right? To say, oh, no, we're here to help Main Street. All Everything yeah. we're doing, oh, we are doing it for, you know, Joe Pa, you know, living in, you know, in, in, in wherever, right? Yeah. And it's the inauthenticity of it. It's the intentional construction of these words to create political support, to create or to preserve the status quo, right? That mm-hmm. just makes me furious, it's the rarest thing today, you right? Authenticity, right? Authenticity yeah. is, is, is what is, it's the rarest thing today. And that's why, frankly, there's such an opportunity for you, Tyler, for me, for, for people to, to speak authentically and live authentic lives. I'm telling you that spreads from the bottom up and over time, it really does change the world. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping you're right about that. And I'm I'm making the bet yeah. myself, you know. Yeah. I I think more more people need to to realize that it, it's all tied into one. I think our generation has a problem because my my generation specifically is working at these giant organizations. It's like you're told it's safe, you're told it's secure, you you're told, you know, you'll have a 401k that'll pay out however many years yep. and 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 I just don't think that's true. There's no upward mobility. Wages aren't really rising as much for those older companies. And, you know, I've seen it firsthand working at smaller companies now is you have a lot more meritocracy. It's really where the the growth and I guess the personal growth too is happening. And I think being at these mega corporations is you find yourself almost depressed because out of a, you know, a $20 billion company, can you really nudge and, and create an extra percent of growth? Like maybe, but you're probably not going to get compensated for it. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. I don't know. That's sort of where I, I am on the subject. One, right. one thing I, I'd love to dig into is um, to pivot a little bit is Bill, Bill Huang and the financial system. How does a guy as a backstory, he ran a fund that basically levered up 
I think $10 billion to $100 billion. And you've, you've actually gone out and talked about this, whereas you haven't, I haven't seen anybody from the giant institutions, Goldman, Morgan, Nomura, talk about how it's possible to lever $10 billion to be $100 billion in exposure, all in swaps. And, and that is, this is a microcosm that I think it was in the news for like maybe a week right. or two. And no one really talks about $100 billion exposure is one eighth of the subprime crisis. Yeah, it's a lot of money. How is that? <laughs> like, and, and it just, you know, lift up rug, sweep it under and forget about it. That's got to be, people have to be complicit in this, correct? Well, yeah, look, so, I mean, Bill Wong is a uh, convicted uh, felon, right, for uh, market manipulation with what he did. Uh, this is, call it, he did this in kind of like 2009, 2010, and then, you know, he was um, um, agreed to, uh, this is, these are criminal proceedings, by the Department of Justice and uh, and also civil proceedings by the SEC. So, you know, the question for me is is twofold. One is to your to your point. Well, how can somebody borrow that much money? Right? How is that possible? And mm -hmm. the 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 corollary to that is, how can someone who you know is a raccoon, right? Someone who you know is a convicted financial criminal, a huckster, a fraud, how can that person borrow so much money, right? It's, uh... Yeah, I say, meanwhile, I get a full cavity search for my, like, tiny little mortgage. Correct. And, uh, <laughs> like, it takes a month to fill out this paperwork. This guy gets, you know, 10 times leverage on 10 Well, million. so it goes back to, to what we were talking about earlier, which is that uh, the system we've set up that does reward scale, that our policies around money are such that if you're a large public corporation, if you're a big bank, all the money in the world is available to you. It's all, it's all available to you for essentially nothing, mm -hmm. for free. This tidal wave of just money is available to large public corporations and large financial institutions. Now, let's say you work for one of those financial institutions. You were talking about this earlier. Well, you know, well, how can I make money, right? Well, you take risk, not productive risk, not risks as in, mm -hmm. oh, well, you know what? I'm going to form my own, you know, exchange or I'm going to form my own, um, you know, hire, go out and hire lots of people. You say, no, no, no. My risk taking is going to be I'm going to give this guy Bill Wong eight billion dollars because he tells me he's got you know a hundred million dollars here so i'm going to lever him up 10 times yeah. and um you know he's he's a pretty good investor he makes money so you know i'm looking at a nice fat bonus on this because the the, the fees we're taking in by providing these swaps and these leverage facilities hey that's worth some good money to me now it won a lot of money you look at Credit Suisse, right? So, so you know they they're taking a loss of ten plus billion dollars on what they did with Bill Wong. I, th I think that they mm -hmm. made total total revenue 
from Wong, it was crazy. It was like $10 million, right? So your risk-reward here was insanely bad, insanely bad. Yeah. And this isn't the first time that Credit Suisse has done this, but this, the, the, this, the, this bizarro world risk-reward is in all the big banks. Why? Because they are too big to fail. That you know, mm. and that's not just you know a story. That's actually the law, right? Systemically important yeah. financial institutions, SIFIs, they are not. They cannot fail. Right? They cannot go under. And so, is is that part of it? Which is you can only finance scale. You're not going to finance Tyler Neville's house. Right. You know, three hundred million times, because, but you can finance Bill Huang, and even if, you know, he has a crappy year, you know, you make ten million. That's right. You don't care. I, I guess. Yeah, you don't care. And and all those incentives, how did they crash? Because and, and then maybe that we can pivot to the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, which is uh, inflation. What. Inflation, like commodity yeah. inflation, right? Or, or wage prices, and, just inflation, right? The embedded inflation, and and the here here's why that brings the this financialization house of cards down, Tyler. It's because mm-hmm. inflation means that the price of money has to go up, right? The Fed can ignore it for a while, and they can say, oh, it's just going to be transitory, but if as I think we're all seeing with our own eyes, right? That it's not transitory, that it's how it's, it's embedded in our, in our expectations and you're in my expectation for what we think our house is going to be worth next year, for what we think is going to cost us to buy a car next year. We're our, our expectations are, it's going to be a lot more, a lot higher number go up. Mm-hmm. And our expectations are now that wages are going to go up. Right. Finally, finally. But look, you know, companies like Walmart, McDonald's, all of which have have announced, Amazon, all of which have announced uh, wage increases. Mm -hmm. They're also going, and they are, rolling out price increases. So this is what happens with inflation, that, that all the prices of everything including the price of your labor, goes up. And so what has to happen is the price of money also has to go up. The price of money is interest rates. And when interest Mm -hmm. rates go up, then money ain't free anymore. And that's what stops the party at the big banks. That's what stops the party of, I'll call it infinite duration, infinite time horizon business models like Tesla. Right. It's not about selling cars. It's about going to Mars. And it's about, you know, what the world is going to be like 50 years from now. You can raise a lot of money. That stock will do well when money is free. But when the shadow of the future, when money, the price of money goes up and you say, well, you know, actually, I think money, everything's going to be more expensive five years from now. So, you know, I, I don't believe it's harder for me to believe that this business model, which has an infinite time horizon, works when we've got the price of money increasing over time. So 
you know, this is something we talk about these 40 year long cycles, you know, we, in the same way that it's been capital over labor for 40 years, it's been deflation over inflation for 40 years. It's been falling bond prices for 40 years. And I think we're at a transition point for all of these barges to start going the other direction. Globalization, inflation, capital versus labor. I think all of these barges are going the other direction now. And hopefully sociopaths versus non-sociopaths. That's the goal, right? Because, you know, I, I, but this is the opportunity, right? This is the opportunity. It, it is at points of time like this where the status quo starts to break down. And the mm -hmm. question of our lives and, you know, I'm 57. I don't know how you are, old you are, Tyler, but it's definitely the question of your life. It's going to be the question for my children's lives is, you know, as the status quo starts to break down, as we resist that, what do we build in its place? And that's why it's so important to start now with building those communities based on small L liberal virtues small c conservative virtues that's what we need to build now because that's what is going to ultimately push the sociopaths out when the status quo starts unraveling i i love that and it's probably a great place to wind down as well i wanted to hit you with uh a hot seat section okay of sure I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with like four or five names, and you got to hit me with your first thing that pops into your mind after each name. Dangerous, but I'll give Ready? it a shot. All right. Denzel Washington. Um, I, I, so, yeah, yes, from Shoshan. Okay, first thought is Denzel Washington in Training Day, right? I mean, what a great movie. It's still just a great movie of human interaction. Sorry, Training Day. So good. Okay, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, robot. <laughs> AOC. I like her. I think she's a very talented political entrepreneur. Very talented. Yeah. Mine, you know, whatever you say about her politics, I think she's genuine. I do too. Jeff Bezos. Uh, human growth uh, uh, hormone, HGH. <laughs> Elon Musk. Uh, Ur Raccoon. You are Raccoon. The old, you know, the, 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 an OG Raccoon. I like it. On that note, uh, and, and the final note I wanted to end on, mega institutions you are against, but you are an Alabama football fan. <laughs> <laughs> I was born into the I church. I was born into I the church. Get you. I, you know, uh, yeah, my, a, my grandfather yeah. played for Alabama. My uncle played for Alabama. So, uh, you know, I was born into the church of Bear Bryant. And so I, I understand it's like rooting for the Death Star. I get it. <laughs> I get it. Trust me, I get it. But I, I I'm not a fan cut lately. I've, I've, it's, uh, I was born into it. That's my excuse. I love it. I love it. Well, Ben, thanks so much. This was a pleasure. My pleasure, Tyler. Anytime.